From Quoted Studios, this is Blank on Blank, distributed by the public radio exchange PRX.org. I'm David Gerlach. Support for our show comes from Hover. They make it easy to buy and manage domain names. And right now, you can get 10% off your first purchase. Just use the promo code blank on blank. That's blank on blank, all one word. Animate your idea. Claim your domain name. Hover.com. It was just a few months ago that B.B. King was finally forced to stop playing live shows. He was in Chicago, and he had to cut short a gig at the House of Blues. Afterwards, doctors said the 89-year-old was dehydrated and exhausted. Since then, he's been resting up at home, and as well he should. I mean, B.B. King has been playing upwards of 300 shows a year for nearly 50 years. I mean, that's 15,000 live performances. So what's the secret to this kind of longevity? this ability to keep getting up on stage night after night, year after year. Well, we got a few clues from a tape we found at the Library of Congress. I look at an audience kind of like meeting my in-laws for the first time. (laughs) You want to be yourself, but you still want to be somebody that they like. When I go on the stage each night, I try my best to outguess my audience. And I like to feel in most cases like I'm a big guy with long rubber arms that I can reach around my audience and swing and sway with them, move them with me. And many nights I can't. Many nights I can't. But you do like a good manager do with a baseball team. You keep pulling pitches, pitches, pitches. Yeah, keep trying. B.B. King, interviewed back in 1986 by Joe Smith for a book on music legends called On the Record. I get its name. I uh, used to play a place in Twist, Arkansas. Still there, Twist, Arkansas. And they used to have a little nightclub there that we played quite often. It used to get quite cold in Twist. And they used to take something look like a big garbage pail and set it in the middle of the floor, half fill it with kerosene. They would light that fuel, and that's what we use for heat. And generally, the people would dance around it, you know, never disturb this container. But this particular night, two guys started fighting, and one of them knocked the other one over on this container. And when they did, it spilled on the floor. Now, it was already burning, so when it spilled, it looked like a river fire. And everybody ran for the front door, including yours truly. But when I got on the outside, then I realized that I'd left my guitar inside. I went back for it. The building was a wooden building, and it was burning so fast, when I got my guitar, it started to collapse around me. So I almost lost my life trying to save the guitar. But the next morning we found that these two guys was fighting, was fighting about a lady. I never did meet the lady, but I learned that her name was Lucille. So I named my guitar Lucille to remind me not to do a thing like that again. <laughs> Sometime when I'm blue, it seemed like Lucille tried to help me call my name. In the early years, when I was starting, if you were a blues player, uh, you wasn't always welcome in a lot of the other places. People usually have preconceived ideas about blues music. They always feel that it's depressing and it's just something that a guy sit out on a stool, grab a guitar, and just start singing or mumbling or whatever. You came out of relatively hard times. A lot of blues players did. Is it necessary to have hard times to reflect that music? To no, it's not. It helps, though. Yeah. <laughs> hard times don't necessarily mean being poor all the time. I've known people that was a part of a family and always feel that 
the family likes everybody else but them. That hurts. And that's as deep a hurt as you can possibly get. I've known people that would have problems with their love life. This is kind of how blues began out of feeling misused, mistreated, feeling like they had nobody to turn to. Blues don't necessarily have to be sung by a person that came from Mississippi, as I did, because there are people having problems all over the world. I don't like to feel that I owe anything. I like to feel that I pay my own way, no free lunch. And when people give me all these great compliments, I thank them, but still go back to my room and practice. And a lot of times I say to myself, I wish there could be words of all the compliments that people give me sometimes. I am not inventing anything that's going to stop cancer or muscular dystrophy or anything, but I like to feel that my time and talent is always there for the people that need it. And when someone do say something negative, most times I think about it, but it don't bother me that much. You know who you are. I like to think that I do. Talking about the blues. As always, you can watch the animated version of this episode on our website, blankonblank.org. It's from our series with PBS Digital Studios. Amy Drozdowska produced this episode with me, and you can follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Tumblr, and there you'll find all the stuff we're uncovering in the archives. All right, that's it for now. Mr. B.B. King is going to take us home. Thanks for listening, everybody. Some of my friends would tell me from time to time, Eric Clapton said this, or... Jimmy Hendrix said this. I spoke with John Lennon once uh, after I had seen in, I believe it was Life magazine, where people were asking him questions, say, uh, what is it you would like to do? And one of his things was to play guitar like B.B. King. That's when I started to find that a lot of the young musicians had been listening to me. I didn't know, and for the life of me, sometimes still wonder why. <laughs> I've had my feelings of doubt, I think, in music. To think that there are people that learn to play by listening to my music, those dark days wasn't dark after all. <laughs>